Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you, not only on our live feed, but also for those of you that are here in the audience together. Uh, It's just fantastic uh, last night and now today to hear you singing and giving praise to the Lord. Um, David Crowder said it best, there's just something about God's people getting together to offer praise to Him. And I have to agree. Uh, You guys have great, great voices. So uh, welcome again, and I look forward to seeing you guys as we go forward. Thank you for signing up, and if you're wanting to be part of this next week, uh, our sign-ups will go um, go up on Monday for either Saturday night, 6 to 7, or Sunday from uh, 10.30 to 11.30. Okay, we're in Revelation chapter 9, and uh, we're going to finish um, our series uh, about the Lord and His judgments, the day of the Lord. This is Blow Your Trumpets, trumpet number 6, which I have titled, Release the Hounds. And we're going to see these four uh, that are released here in just a moment. But I want to let, let you know this is going to be the last in this series for the summer because we do a little thing around harvest called Summer in the Psalms. And that's going to start next week. Uh, there'll be a slight break when uh, Jeremiah preaches uh, from the book of Amos at the end of June. And then all through July, we're going to be continuing our Summer in the Psalms series. I believe I've settled in on Psalms 140 through 150 as our, our sermon uh, for that time period. So if you want to read ahead, Uh, Go ahead and do that. That'd be fantastic. Now, let's get to today's message. I thank Brent for reading that scripture. Um, Let me start this way. I am a big fan uh, of NCIS, uh, CSI, uh, any of the franchises of Law and Order, any kind of cop-type drama and uh, mystery movie. All right, is there anybody with me that, that enjoys those things? Uh, the reason that I, you don't, okay, Anne of Green Gables over here doesn't like it. The, the reason that I love that is um, I try to figure out the puzzle before it happens. And um, I've been watching NCIS, that's probably my favorite. I watched it since its beginning, the very first episode. I tuned in by chance and, and I watched now 18 seasons of it, Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, if it's on, my phone's off, I'm not, I'm just focused in on that, right? And my wife and I have begun season one again, and we've been watching it, and it's amazing the things that you miss, that now you know are, are, is going to happen. In fact, it's, it's fun to watch them, because as, as you go along in the second time, or the third time, or sometimes the eighth time, you're like, oh, I know what's happening next. Oh, I know this person did it. I know that this, this happened here. And sometimes I just find myself going, oh, I missed that. And my wife would be like, what? What'd you miss? I'm like, ah, oh, you'll see, you'll see. We had a conversation the other day, and we were coming back, and I'm like, want to watch another episode of NCIS? This is where they get chip. And they're like, you'll see all the pieces put together. And I hate when I miss the obvious, right? I mean, I hate when I don't see something coming. Like, to stay with NCIS, when, when Kate 
got shot right at the end of season two by that sniper. I hated that because I didn't see it coming, but looking back, I could see it coming. But I hate it that I didn't see it coming. I hate that when you don't see something coming and it's so obvious, right? You with me? Well, that's our challenge for today. Don't miss the obvious. Don't miss the truth and kind of wrapped it up around the hub of our message. Don't miss what is clearly in God's word as truth. That's our hub. Don't miss the truth. And God's word is truth, amen? All right, now I stopped last night's audience because we just have to be reminded of a couple things. All right, so if you're watching at home or on vacation, as we worship, it's okay to put our two hands together and clap. We've got to be reminded of that, okay? But it's also okay to say amen. You don't have to type it in the chat anymore if you're here. If you want to get it out and type it in, that's great. But, all right, God's word is truth, amen? All right. I have a post-it note in my, on my computer in my office that asks two questions. And they're very important questions. A friend of mine who is a pastor of a church in Arizona, we were having a conversation about this, and he's like, Nate, you gotta, you got to have these two questions answered before you go forward. The first question is this, why is this paragraph in the Bible? That's an important question. And the second question is, what is lost for the disciples of Jesus without this paragraph being in the Bible. And I think about passages like this passage in Revelation chapter 9, where people just don't even preach it. But it's in the Word of God. And every Word of God is necessary and important, and I don't want to miss the truth found in His Word. Now, because I love you, I'm going to say that again. Listen to what I have to say. Every word of God is necessary and important, and I don't want to miss the truth found in his word. Amen? There are churches and pastors who spend their whole ministry life never opening portions of the Bible and tackling what their sheep need to be fed by. I showed Jeremiah a note this morning that I had written. It said, sheep need fed even if they don't like it. And that's what God does in his word. Sheep need fed even if they don't like it. And, and it's not always easy just to preach God's grace and mercy and love without preaching God's judgment. I love what the word of God says in the book of Jeremiah. It says, your word was found, O Lord, and I ate it, and it became a joy and a delight to my soul. So here's the question I was pondering this week as I I kind of took a walk. My mind was everywhere with everything going on. I needed to clear my head. And I just asked that question. What would be missed if I never read this passage? Would we miss anything? Guys, if you never heard that passage, would you miss something? And I believe we would. We would miss the truth. So, that's our, that's our hub, it's, that's our text for today, and we're going, to look at, we're going to look at four things around this hub, and we're going to give a conclusion, and we're going to be done, okay? Okay, so, what would be missed if I never read or heard or understood this passage? I would miss the truth, write this down, I would miss the truth about the justice and sovereignty of God in judgment. I would miss the truth about God's justice and God's sovereignty 
in his judgments. And what I mean by that, here's what I'm saying. In the seals and in the trumpet judgments, we are seeing the justice of God being poured out. He has waited and waited and waited. And his people have cried, how much longer? But we've also seen his sovereignty. And don't forget that this sixth trumpet was the second woe. There were three woes just before the fifth trumpet. Now the sixth trumpet blows, and it's, I wrote, epic proportion, unprecedented in destruction. But yet we see how much he's in control. He's in control, amen? You believe that? So say that. God is in control. Say that. Ready? That's right. He is setting things into motion to deal with Satan, to deal with the man of sin, to deal with sin, to deal with the sinner in rebellion. His vengeance is being poured out on mankind for all those who were martyred for the faith. And if we skipped it, we would miss this important aspect of how much he is in control and how faithful he is to avenge his children. Let's look at our text. Verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. All right, so we're going to stop right there for just a minute and talk. All right, so let's get an understanding of what is meant here by this four horns of the altar, golden altar that is before God. To get a better understanding, we have to go all the way back to Exodus, where God says, make a tabernacle for me. So to help us understand the tabernacle, let's just look at it in this way, all right? So if you are outside before you entered, you would come in through the altar, or excuse me, in through the gate, and you would, be, you would enter. But the first thing you would come to, the turnstile, if we will, if you've been to Walmart and seen those new styles they got in there, you walk and it opens up for you. The only way into Walmart is through those turnstiles right now, right? The turnstile into the tabernacle was sacrifice. It was the way, the truth, and the life. It was the way into the very presence of God. And as you continued on past this brass sacrificial altar, you came to a, a brass laver full of water where, where the priests would cleanse themselves before they went into where you guys are sitting, which we'll call the holy place. And in the holy place, there were three things. On this side over here, as we entered, there was, a, there was a table with bread on it. It was a table of his presence and how he had taken care of his children. And this side was, was a menorah, which was a candlestick, a golden candlestick, because he would light their path. You know what Solomon wrote? You're a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And just before... This area here we'll call the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God's Shekinah glory would dwell. There was a golden altar where incense taken from the sacrifice, mixed with resin and lit on fire. We've already kind of talked about that. And smoke would cover and it would fill the, the tabernacle. And God would be pleased. And it would veil His presence so that sinful men could not look on him. That was the Old Testament. That was where this kind of goes. But Hebrews tells us that as there is on earth, there is also in heaven a holy tabernacle. And guess what? The way into that is still through sacrifice. From the one who was the way, 
the truth, and the life. Jesus, the perfect lamb who laid down his life for you and I, that we may enter in. And as we enter in through his sacrifice, we become kings and priests and we are cleansed. His word says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we walk into the holy place, we realize that he has been the lamp to our feet. He is the light of the world and he is the bread of life. And now He stands at the four horns of the altar. And I say He there because the Scripture says that He is the one who always intercedes for us on our behalf. Hebrews says that. Our prayers in Jesus' name are a sweet-smelling aroma to our, our Father. And it's only mentioned, the altar of incense, in the, in the New Testament a few times, the first time is in Luke 1 where the people were crying out for the Messiah to come and Zechariah goes to offer a sacrifice and the angel Gabriel meets him. And the last time it's mentioned is here in this text. And both times, the prayer have been answered, how long, O Lord? And he responds, and I say he because I believe this is the voice of Jesus. He's the one, listen, he's been seen holding the scroll, Right? Who could take the scroll? He took the scroll. Why? Because he's the one who has the authority to break the seals. And he broke the seals. And he's the one who can command that something happen. In the midst we see in Revelations, he's in the midst of his church. He's before the throne. And he's at the altar of incense answering the prayers. How long before you come? It's the prayers of the saints in all the ages. And it says... It, the voice, said to the sixth angel, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So there's a couple things there. Because God can control, is in control, he can say release. Euphrates is mentioned. How many know where the river Euphrates is at? Still a river today. And it runs, and runs out of Iran and into what would have been at that time Persia. It's still a river. It's the eastern border of the west or as I said last night, the western border of the east. It separates east from west. Later on in, in Revelation, it will be dried up so the armies of the east can come and do battle against the Lord. It's integral to all of this. It's the place where sin began in the Garden of Eden. There's one of the list, four rivers listed that ran through Eden. It's the place where idolatry happened in Babylon or Babel. It's the place of the first murder and it's the place where all things will come to an end. And then notice there are four angels here bound. Well, Scripture never records heavenly angels being bound. So who might these angels be? Fallen angels. Yes. Demons. We saw that in our last part of, of chapter 9 where we had all of these demons released that were like locusts. And we're stinging and people couldn't die. Now these four are released. The four who had been kept for this very hour, day, month, and year. You should underline that. I said if we didn't read this passage of Scripture, we would miss the justice of God and the sovereignty of God. And I want you to notice the sovereignty of God highlighted here in this text. God has kept these angels for the very hour, day, month, and year that they were to be released. 
And now when I say God is in control, how much is he in control? Well, first off, note that nothing's a surprise to him. Guys, look up here. Our God is never surprised. He never, these words never come out of his mouth. I didn't see that coming. He's in control. So much so, it gets to the point where he says, I know the hour, the day, the month, and the year that this will happen. Like a kid counting down to Christmas. Like, like Ashley McElwain counting down on Facebook. Love you, Ashley. How many days till vacation? The hour, the day, the month, the year. Nothing's a surprise to him and nothing is over him. Guys, if, if there was something over God, God wouldn't be God. Do we understand that principle? In his sovereignty, he is in control of all things. Nothing is over him. God's command of demonic forces is complete. He binds, he releases at his command and no one else's. So I put this on the screen. It's not something I've normally done. But that is a comfort point, guys. Understand this. That principle that God is in control and that he binds what he binds and he looses what he looses is a comfort point because he knows what he's doing. And if God knows what he's doing, we can trust him, amen? Now, if I skipped this chapter, I would have missed that. I would have missed his justice and his sovereignty. But also, I would have missed the truth about Satan and his angels. I want to make a statement here. It's not on screen. Just hear me out. Satan cannot do what he would like to do if he had complete reign. If Satan had complete reign, it would be horrible. But he cannot do what he would like to do. He can only do what God allows him to do. He is not omniscient. He is not all-powerful. He, he is not all-knowing. He cannot be at all places at all times. That is God. And he cannot do what he would like to do. But what we see is what he would like to do if he were loosed on the earth. The Scripture says he's the murderer and a liar from the very beginning. And notice in verse 15 again, we'll go back to that and read through verse 19. Notice what he would like to do. The four angels who had kept for this hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. That's 200 million, by the way. I heard their number. John said this is a very specific number. I heard it. And it's a big army. It's a grotesque army, too. Notice that there are horses and riders, like uh, in Greek mythology, uh, a centaur or something like that. I saw in a vision they look like this. Now, that's important because John can't describe what he saw. Right? He said that about the locusts eight times. They did this. They look like this. They look like this. What they did looked like this because he didn't have the words in his vocabulary to explain how supernatural this was. So he says again about them, in my vision, they looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red and dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues. Fire, smoke, sulfur. I was reading in Genesis this week. That sounds a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
That came from their mouth, verse 19. The power of the horse was in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads which, by which they inflicted injury. Now, guys, these last two, woe, woe, right? There was the locusts that were stinging, but you couldn't die. And now all of a sudden there's these horse men things that were breathing fire and smoke and sulfur, and you were dying. But if you didn't die, you might have gotten bit by their tails. Now, I'm not a horseman. I know, we, I know some horsemen, right? The tails are kind of cool, but I don't want to get hit by one, let alone bit by one. And this is a dark, dangerous picture. This is a woe. This is showing us who Satan really is. It's not a pretty picture either. It's an incredible horde. It's a specific number. And they were led by four demons. Listen, they're not good. There's no goodness in them. These demons are dark and dangerous and want to do nothing but destroy the one thing that is made in the image of God. And who is that? Us. We say that again. They're dark, they're dangerous, and they want to do Nothing but destroy the one thing that is made in the image of God. The second thing about them is a third of mankind is now dead because of these things. A third of mankind. Mm. Coupled with a fourth of mankind earlier in in one of the, I think it was the fourth seal judgment. Well, I'm not a mathematician. I went to math class, right? Right? I barely passed geometry, solid D minus, all the way through. Thank you, Mr. Lum, for passing me, seriously. Um, But I do have a smartphone, and I can do the math. If this were to happen today, a quarter and a third is a little bit over a half. How many people were dead? Four billion people have died because they have refused Jesus Christ. And that's not to include those that drank the poisonous water, and that's not to include the martyrs that died for their faith. Can you think of the stench? Yet, they can't do that unless God gives them permission. And when they do, even God has mercy. And if God did not end this thing, all would perish. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22. He said, and if in those days had had not been cut short, no human would be saved for the sake of his elect. Those days have been cut short. And if I miss this passage, if I just decided I'm not reading Revelation 9 because I don't understand it, I would have missed the truth about God's justice and God's sovereignty and who Satan really was. A, cu- a question I might be asked is, who, who are these, who is this army here? Is this the same army later on that comes uh, to come against uh, Israel? Is it, is it something different? I have two options I want to just share with you real quick. The first one is quite simple. There's four demons leading a 200 million demon horde, centaur-looking army that have blue and red and yellow as their breastplates. 
as John described. Just take it as that. Or, secondly, it could be these four demons controlling an army from the east, or four armies. Now, is that in Scripture? Has that happened before? I want to give you two texts uh, to answer that question with a yes. The first is in Daniel 10. Daniel 10 through, uh, 10 through 14. Daniel has been praying. And Daniel has received a vision, and now the angel Gabriel shows up. And he said, I was delayed 21 days because I was fighting against the prince of Persia. This is about the same time as Esther and Haman's battle. And he said, Michael fought with me, and now I have come to you. But he says, I must return because the prince of Persia is coming again and is the prince of Greece. Now, he's not talking about a literal person, but he's talking about those who led the armies that were coming against the children of Israel. In 1 Kings, we see, chapter 22, we see Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king, but he was going to go to battle against Syria, and he called all his prophets together, and all his prophets are like, you're going to win this, no problem, God is with you. But he called one more prophet, Micaiah. And Micaiah said, prophesied, I saw the Lord. And he said, who will go against Ahab? And he said, a demon said, I will go and make a lying spirit so that they will tell him everything will be okay. And the Lord said, go. Is it possible that this would be what these four demons would do? Yes, it's been in Scripture. I'm not going to give you an answer. Because I don't really know what the right answer is there. Here's what I do know. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> right? And anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ isn't going to be there. But he wants us to know what it is that these folks will go through and how merciful he has been to save you. Nothing happens outside of God's permission and control. That is, Satan is a murderer and would do away with all of humanity if God allowed it. But we call this the, the efficient clause, that God is efficient in this while Satan is instrumental in this. God allows and permits, Satan inspires and plays it out. Think of Job. Satan inspired, God permitted, Satan went and tested. Think of the worst day in history. What was the worst day in history? The cross. But what was the best day in history? The cross. Because it fit into God's divine plan. Now, if I would just skip over all of this, I would miss the fact that God is sovereign. I would miss the fact that these dark, dangerous, grotesque beings want to do harm to our world and what they really were like. And I would miss man's true spiritual condition. I would miss man's true spiritual condition. That without the grace of God, listen, I would never seek him. You guys understand that? Without God's mercy and grace drawing me to him, I would never seek him. Why do you say that, Nate? Think back on everything that we've been teaching 
and how horrible this time is. And clearly, in horrible times, people look for a higher power or something to turn to. Yet in this, we see the, one of the two worst verses in all of the Bible. That now over half of humanity is dead. Places have been on fire. People are suffering. And yet, what does the Scripture say? The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. The works of their hands or stop worshiping demons, or idols of gold, silver, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk, nor do they repent of their murders or their magic arts, maybe your Bible says sorcery, or their sexual immorality, or their theft. Let me make another statement here. Man in his sinful state despises anything and everything that God has to offer. You understand that, right? They only want their pleasure. Man only wants their control, their independence, their greed, their vengeance, their works of their own hands. And the last thing they want to do is to repent of anything, especially to a God they hate. One of the worst days of ministry for me, there were two that I can think of. There was a boy named Joey and there was a boy named Ethan. And Ethan came to my house late one evening with a, with a friend. And we were talking about the Bible. And he was really interested in, in spiritual things. But he, he looked at me. He, all right, it all comes down to this, Pastor Nate. It all comes down to this. He said, do I have to give up my music? And he, he, he admittedly listened to some really, really bad music. And I said, Ethan, does it give glory to God? No. I said, then yes. He said, well, that's it then. I'm out. And he walked away. Because he didn't want to have to live with the fact of repentance. He wanted his thing, his way, and he hardened his heart towards God. And the hardness of man's heart towards God at this moment is great. Consider the full extent of God's wrath being poured out here. We haven't even seen it to full capacity. What a mess this place must have been. Let's just go through them again. Right? We've got war and pestilence. We've got fires. We've got famine. A third of the earth is burning. A third of the oceans are turned red because a third of the fish died. A third of the shipping. 17,000 ships, if it were tomorrow, sunk. All the, a third of the fresh water was toxic. We have these Demon locusts running around stinging people. And though they want to die, they cannot die. And now all of a sudden, a third of mankind has died. And yet people, in the midst of this chaos, God has the heavens opened and you can see into his throne room. They doubled down on their hardness of heart and bought the lie of Satan and his antichrist. And God gives them a six-fold indictment here. But look up here. This is not a new indictment. This is just what we do. All right? Here's the first one. Pride. I wrote down pride. Because it says, they still not repent of the works of their hands. Look, look at what I made. I mean, why can't God accept me? Because look what I made. I made this, God. 
my goodness, my awesomeness. And they didn't repent of that. And they didn't repent of idolatry. But it doesn't say idolatry at first. It says the worship of demons. Now, I don't believe a majority of people in this world would go, yeah, I'm worshiping a demon. But they might say, I'm worshiping an idol. But Paul says that the worship of idols is the worship of demons. And notice what he says about these idols. God is always very straightforward when it comes to idols. Read Isaiah. In Isaiah, he says, why are you worshiping these things? They can't even hear you. Here, he says, they're gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood that cannot see or hear or walk. They worship the created thing versus the creator. And then there's murders. There's no sanctity of life in any form. As it was in the days of Noah, where people were just killing other people. There's lawlessness. Senseless murder. I was appalled yesterday. I was scrolling through Twitter. And, they, and this was even in another country. And they were protesting. And I watched a guy with some alcohol throw it on a policeman, and light him on fire. Senseless. Senseless murder. But it's the story of the day. And then, how many in your Bibles have sorcery? Okay. Um, Let's just get to the meaning of that word because it does seem like, oh, there's like uh, Harry Potter doing stuff here? No. Sorcery itself is where we get the word pharmacy. It's the Greek word pharmacia, which means that people would take drugs, mushrooms, heroin, cocaine, whatever it might be, to enhance their worship experience with idols and do things in that frame of mind for their idol worship. And God is saying this is a problem. He's saying they're they're practicing their sorceries. They're altering themselves to get to a higher plane of ecstasy, a greater spiritual experience, when the truth is all they needed was me. And out of that sexual immorality, rampant sex and rape are going side by side in a society that's babbling in sorcery and murder. And no one is safe now. Child, teen, adult, man, woman, Then lastly is theft. What's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. There's a sense of entitlement. I'm going to get what I want because I deserve it. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it feels like I'm, I'm just peeling off the front page of Facebook here. Yet in those days, it's ramped up and God says they did not repent. And this is a horrible time filled up with horrible people. But understand this, this is who we are right now. Apart from the grace of God, the world's not getting better. If it were not for times where God brought great revivals to reset our collective hearts as a people, we would be barbarians again. Now we just have a new sophisticated sense of evil, but yet we're still evil. And as I read God's word, I see who's behind it. 
We embrace who's behind it because it's in our DNA. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Don't don't bring who you are. I want to change you from the inside out. We're so depraved that we need a new, fresh, God-honoring, Christ-exalting life where the old is gone and the new has come. And if I never would have read these two verses in the Bible, I would have totally missed what we're really, 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 really like. And I would have missed the truth about salvation. The Word of God says that He so loved us that He gave His only Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And one of the things that that I think about when I read passages of Scripture list and I ponder Revelation 6 through Revelation 9 is two words. The first is gratitude. A believer should be very, very grateful for the salvation that they have received. Apart from His grace, I would never have been saved if it were left up to me. Salvation is of the Lord, right? Amen? And the things that we brought to the table, the thing that we brought to the table is sin. We sinned. God made a solution. That solution was the incarnation and crucifixion of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. And then He gave us a gift to be received. And the truth is, that should make us grateful. The attitude of gratitude sets the altitude for our living. And our testimony should be about grace given to me every time. Almost to the fact that, listen, we're we're singing that song, I love to tell the story of Jesus and His glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Because of my salvation, I know that I, I have a Savior who loves me and I'm grateful for that. But I also have a confident expectation that what God is doing is correct. And we call that hope. Believer, do you have hope in the Lord? Do you look around you at a world that is falling apart, yet you can trust in the Lord? My hope is not in what is going around. My hope is in the Lord and looking and longing for His eminent return. The eminent return of my bridegroom and king. Can I just ask you, whether it be in the audience on Facebook or here in the audience, Look, look up here. Are you thinking, longing, and desiring the soon return of your bridegroom, Jesus Christ? Are you? Do you long for that? The picture Jesus gave in John 14 was of this very exact same thing. He said to his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And that's what a bridegroom would do. He would go to his father's house. He would pay the penalty or the dowry for receiving the bride. He paid that at the cross. But then he would go away and fix a room on his house. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. That's awesome. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare them so that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go, I will come again. That's a promise. In fact, Jesus left. Acts chapter 1, the angels came down shortly after that, and everybody was like, like this, right? And they're like, what are you doing? The same Jesus who left the same way will come again. 
Why? Because Jesus said, I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Are you looking for that? Are you longing for that? Is that your hope? I pray it is. Don't miss the truth. God is in control. Satan is the destroyer, just waiting to, for God to say go. But right now he is in control. God is in control, so he's, there's, it's not happening. Man is inherently not good, but wicked. And yet my salvation is a wonderful gift. In closing, there's really not much to write down because I want you to focus. The judgments of God are thorough. Very thorough. Whether it be first at the cross. Let's consider that judgment first. Very thorough. God dealt with the wage of sin, which the Scripture says is death, when He placed all of the iniquities on Christ for those who would believe. And how thorough was it? What did Jesus say? It is finished. In Jesus' blood and sacrifice, the wrath of God was satisfied. And now those of us who have believed in Him can approach. Yet in tribulation... It's very thorough as well. He is systematically tearing down man's idols. Yet he is merciful. Just like at the cross, he was merciful, right? To the man who cried out to him, Father, forgive me. He said, this, this day you will be with me in paradise. To the crowd who was hurling insults at him, he looked at his father and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In tribulation, God is, is also merciful. From this day until now, a third is not a full amount. 144,000 preaching the gospel for folks to come to Jesus. But listen, when the seventh trumpet is opened, the seven bowls come. And when the seven bowls come, if you took a bowl full of cereal milk and turned it upside down, and that's what's going to happen in the bowl judgments. The wrath of God will be satisfied, and Christ will tread out the winepress of God's wrath. But the bowls haven't been turned over yet, so there's hope. Well, Pastor Nate, I don't, I don't want to go through that. Well, as I've already said, the church will not go through this. Why? Well, Jesus told us that. In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians, he said, the church is not, those that are believers in me, my body, my church, they're not destined for my wrath. But he also said, there's no admonitions in the church beyond chapter 3. In fact, the church is not mentioned again in chapter 19 when Christ mounts his horse and the church comes with him as he deals with Armageddon. that sounds great, but I'm not sure I want to be a Christian. Well, there's another reality for you. This text is telling you the foretaste of your glory for all of eternity. What do you mean? Well, without Christ's gift, you will die. All men will die, and after that, face judgment, Hebrew says. But after you die, listen, that's when it gets bad. I mean, this isn't bad compared to what happens after that. 
You will go to a place where there is nothing of God at all. He will never bother you again. There will be no truth. There will be no light. There will be no love. There will be no hope. There will be no wife or children. There will be no support. There will be no grace. There will be no mercy. There will be no fellowship. You will be in an eternal, claustrophobic state where you are stimulated only by you. Because that is what you wanted. You will be the great I am. Forever. In hell. And if you think that sounds okay, let me tell you what the scripture says about hell. It's a place of eternal torment. It's a place of weeping and the gnashing of teeth where the worm never dies, where you are thirsty and in pain and you long for a second chance to tell others, do not come here no matter what, but for all of eternity you will experience eternal death. And if a bird were to fly into hell every thousand years and drop a pebble, you would have hope that one day you would be able to build a bridge out of hell. But there is no bird. And there is no pebble. And for those who have rejected God, there is no hope. Well, that sounds pretty bad. I think it sounds pretty awful. The, the, the alternative is you can place your trust in Christ. It's not very difficult. Christ who did the, the most selfless thing on earth when he came for us, when he was punished for us, when he conquered death for us, and he imputed his righteousness to us for those that believed. That's the key. For those that believed in his name. What does that mean, Nate? I just wrote this little poem. It's saying, God, you are right, and I am wrong. Believing is saying, God, you are right, and I am wrong. God, you did right, and I did wrong. And God, I trust in your way and not my own. King of glory, take me home. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If I wouldn't have read this text, I would have missed so many things. And if you wouldn't have listened to this message, you would have missed the fact that you're a sinner in need of Jesus. And if you have believed in His name, if you have called on Him to be saved, as the Scripture says, you have gratitude and hope, and you long for His appearing. But if you haven't, you have to wrestle with that fact. I can't make that decision for you. I long for everyone watching and everyone in the room to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, it's your decision. Do not harden your heart as these people did in Revelation chapter 9 and turn away from God. Because He will deal with sin and He will deal with you. Or He could deal with you through Jesus who paid the price for you so that you could have eternal life with him. Let's pray. Lord, it's a, it's, a, it's a humbling thing that you are in control and I'm not. 
but it's intended to be that way. You're the great I am. You're the king of glory. You're the one worthy to be praised. You're the one that we are to hail as king of all things. So thank you for the cross. And thank you for saving us from this horrible picture. Why do you tell us this? Long ago you said to Abraham, you will tell us what you're going to do. And this is just you being faithful to your word. God, may it challenge us as we see beyond the curtain the hounds of hell being released to destroy a third of mankind. May it charge within us this desire to share the good news of the gospel. Now, Father, I pray for anyone who might be listening, anyone who might be here that does not have you as a personal Lord or Savior. God, would they see the sense of their sin and how it is separating them from you? Would they ask you for forgiveness? Would they place their trust, their belief in you? You know, all the way back in Genesis, it says Abraham believed you and it was counted him righteousness. So, Father, we pray, we pray that their faith would be placed in you. We don't have enough faith in our own, so give them enough faith that they might trust you in this moment, we pray. Would they even pray, Father, forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins so that I could be redeemed. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for Jesus. Now come in and change my life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.